Welcome to the Beltline Church of Christ podcast. We're so glad you found us. Please take a second and hit the subscribe button so that you can be notified of these weekly podcasts. Most of all, we hope this podcast will help you take your next step with Jesus. If you want to know more about us, you can visit us at www.beltlinechurchofchrist.org. Here's today's lesson. We're in the middle of a series of lessons entitled, uh, uh, well, it's talking about the life of Christ. And we're looking chronologically at the life of Christ, just kind of walking through what he did first, what he did second, how it all worked. We're connecting that to Jesus' disciple-making strategy. And so today, we're just going to dive in. If you have your Bibles, we're in Mark chapter 1. We're going to be spending most of our time right here in Mark 1 and Mark 2, so you can be opening up there. You know, I have people ask me all the time if I'm a fisherman, if I like fishing, and my answer is typically, well, you know, fishing's not really my thing. And if they press me a little bit on that, tell, ask me why, I will often tell them, well, I was scarred as a child. And so uh, there, there's this story that's etched in my head from my childhood about fishing that I claim is the reason why I don't care about fishing much. And so they always want to know what the story is. I'm not sure if I shared this with you before, but I'm going to share it with you again. I was maybe five years old. My family and I were living in Caldwell, Idaho, and it was, uh, it was a fishing trip that we all went on. So we went to the water. We're enjoying the, uh, the day. I don't remember much about it, but I do remember what happened as we began to pack up because we caught nothing that day. It was a complete mess. I remember my brother with a string and a hook. I can picture this vividly, trying to snatch a fish, a fish out with just a hook, and there was no bait on it or anything. Well, they started packing up the van. Everything was loaded up, and I just thought I'd, I'd cast one more. And I, and I caught a fish. I was so excited. I reeled that bad boy in. Now, this isn't a fish story. I'm not going to say it was some, uh, some world record fish that I caught. It, it was a decent-sized fish, but it wasn't, it wasn't massive by any stretch of their imagination. I remember thinking, man, this is really cool. And then my dad took the fish off the hook. But remember, the van's packed up, and so he has nowhere to put this thing. And so he ends up taking this fish off the hook, and he put it in a paper bag. Stay with me, because I'm five. That fish is flopping around in that bag. And I'm like, I just killed something, right? I, I'm, I'm beside myself. I'm saying, throw it back, throw it back. And they wouldn't. My pleas, they went unanswered. They, they would not throw the fish back. It died because of me. And later that day, I had to eat that fish. <laughs> now, if my mom were here, she would say that never happened. She doesn't remember it. I'll never forget it. So I don't know. So I blame that. I blame that for my, uh, my lack of desire to fish. But the reality is, I just have a hard time sitting still. I don't do well on boats, and so I'm not a fisherman. But we know that Peter, Andrew, James, and John were fishermen, right? And the story we looked at last week from Luke chapter 5 talked all about how God changed their vocation from fishing after fish to fishing after men. Remember that they were originally in that come and see portion of Jesus' disciple-making strategy, and now they are actively and they are purposely following Jesus Christ. No longer do they believe 
believe simply because John the Baptist called Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. No, now they believe because they've walked with him. They've been with him. And we know, as we talked about last week, that now Peter, Andrew, James, and John have joined Jesus' ministry team. He has called them to fish for men and women. And what we're going to look at today is several different fishing trips that Jesus takes these guys on right after he calls them to fish for men. So let's look at the first of these fishing trips that Jesus takes these guys on, and we read it in Mark chapter 1. So let's just begin together, verse 21. Here's what it says. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, listen to verse 24, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him, crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed. So they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding regions of Galilee. As Jesus is putting together his ministry team, uh, the team that's ultimately going to transform the world, turned it upside down, the enemy, Satan himself, is on the prowl waiting for an opportunity uh, to, to destroy what Jesus is building. And he finds what he thinks is the perfect opportunity in the synagogue of Capernaum, according to these verses we just read. And I want to say this because I think this is important. We read stories like this, and it really doesn't strike us. I think, about how, how, how awesome this really would have been to have been there that day. It, it doesn't strike us. But I have to point out something for you. They were in church. They were in church when this unclean spirit speaks. So try to put that into, into everyday language for us today. Try to imagine what that might have looked like. Let's, uh, let's imagine that we're in the middle of a sermon and someone just stands up screaming at the top of the lungs, what do you have to do with us? I know who you are. I can see elders scrambling, decently in order, decently in order. Can't you see the square? What are we going to do about this, this commotion that's, that, that's going on, right? And then the preacher stands up and says, zip it, get out of him. And the dude falls to the ground. He starts convulsing and jumping around like that fish in the paper bag. Screaming at the top of his lungs. And then unmistakably, in a moment, that demon is gone. And the person is freed. That's a Sunday you're not going to (laughs) forget. Not just because of the healing that you saw, but because of the amazing commotion that it caused, right? Let me make this point clearly. We may look at this event and say, What's a demon doing at church? But here's the bottom line. The enemy's always at church. Do you understand that this morning? The enemy is always at church. He would like nothing more than to destroy his church from the inside out rather than from the outside in. Because here's the reality. If he can cause us to turn on each other, if he can cause us and and wreak havoc among the people of God from the inside, that's going to be far more effective than attacking it from the outside in. 
The devil has always come to church. He will always be at church. We just can't give the devil his pew. We got to kick him out just like Jesus did. We got to say, we're not going to allow that in here, Satan. You're not, you're not welcome in here. Jesus silences this demon. He casts him out, and the people in the synagogue were amazed, and I love what they say. What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands, and even the demons, even the demons, the unclean spirits obey him. I want you to notice a couple things about Jesus, because Jesus is so much different than anyone else. And here's the first thing I want you to notice about this. Number one, I want you to notice Jesus' authority. I want you to notice Jesus' authority. Two times in this section of scripture, it's pointed out that Jesus spoke with authority. Here's the point. Jesus speaks and things change. Jesus speaks and things change. And here's the point. If you will allow him to speak into your life, he can change you too. He can transform your desires. He can transform your sins. He can transform your struggles. You name it, he can change it because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to King Jesus. He is so different than everyone else. He has authority. But don't just notice his authority. Notice also Jesus' actions. Jesus casting out a demon, especially as you look through the Gospel of Mark, it is supposed to be to us an undeniable sign that the kingdom of God has come. And listen, Satan's realm is being routed. This is the point of this story. The kingdom of God has come and Satan is being cast out. These are not routine miracles. No, they represent, listen to me. They represent the inevitable submission of this world and its power to the reign of King Jesus. That's good news. Because I, 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 just, I just need you to remember that. This miracle story represents the inevitable submission of this world and its powers to the reign of King Jesus. I need you to remember that. Because there's going to be times in your life when it's going to look like the enemy is winning. There's going to be times in the life of this church where it looks like the enemy is winning. He isn't. He's not. Not by any stretch of the imagination. King Jesus has and King Jesus will prevail and you have a chance. Listen to this. You have a chance right now, like Peter, Andrew, James, and John, to join his ministry team. So how about it? How about it? I want in on it. I don't know about you. I want in on it because Jesus changes things changes things. What a day. What a way to begin, right? The first day on the job, the first, the first fishing trip that they go on, and they go to church, and wow, look, here's a demon-possessed man, but the day's just getting started. Because what normally happens after a service like this? We go to lunch, right? Well, so do they. Look at what happens next. Verse 29, immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now, Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately he told them, they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve him. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. They head to Peter's house for Sunday's supper. And when they get there, it would have been Saturday for them. But when they get there, Peter's mother-in-law is there and she's not well. Everybody knows it. And so they tell Jesus about it. And I want you to notice what Jesus does. He gently takes her by the hand and he lifts her up and the fever leaves. I, I love that. 
In the first account, Jesus rebukes and the demon is gone, right? Here he gently takes Peter's mother-in-law by the hand and raises her up. I love it. And I want to say something here as well. Look back at this account. Look especially at verse 31. Notice what happens. The instant that she is healed by the touch of Jesus Christ, do you see what she did? It says, and she got up and she instantly did something. She served. She instantly began to serve them. Here's the point. This is what the people of God do. The people of God, that's us. When we have been healed by the touch of Jesus Christ, our next action is to serve. To serve him, to serve others, to love God, to love people, to go make disciples of all nations. The first thing we do after we've been healed by the touch of Jesus is serve. How you doing with that? See, it's not about everybody serving you. It's not about how can the church meet my needs. It's about how can I get involved? How can I connect with people? How can I serve? Have you been rescued by Jesus from your sins this morning? That would have been a really good spot to say amen, but you're okay. If you have been rescued by Jesus from your sins, then it's time to serve. It's time to get busy. It's time to get after it. It's time to serve. As the sun begins to set, we don't know how many, but the scriptures say that everyone who was sick and oppressed by demons were brought to Jesus. Can you imagine this day? This first fishing trip that they go on, right? The first thing they encounter is a demon-possessed man at a, at a church. And then they, they see this amazing healing of someone they love and Peter's mother-in-law, and then everyone just comes to the house, and there they are, and Jesus is, is casting out demons and healing sickness left and right. Can you imagine what a day that must have been? I wonder if this newly formed ministry team was able to sleep at all after spending this day with Jesus. I mean, I'd have been wired, wow. Can you imagine the conversations that they must have had with each other? They had seen Jesus do some amazing things before, but this was a whole new level. I just gotta say this. If they did sleep, it wasn't for long, because listen to what happens next. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let's go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for this is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, 204 villages, it said in that time, preaching their synagogues and casting out demons. Jesus, though, here's the point. Jesus bathes his entire ministry in prayer to his Father. I want you to see that. He wants to do what God wants him to do and nothing else. Now, this certainly isn't the only time that we see Jesus spending this time alone with God, right? And now he's regularly in prayer with him. But I want you to think about what impression this must have made to Peter, Andrew, James, and John. They get up early and Jesus is already gone. And they have to go search for him. And it's a, such an amazing lesson for them to see Jesus constantly in prayer. Jesus is totally dependent on God. God is the source of his authority. God is the source of his power. And on this occasion, after this day of intense excitement, when the news of God's kingdom has gone public in a big, big way, Jesus knew he needed a sense of God's direction and inner strength 
Jesus knew he needed to talk to God so that he could build on this, on this, 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 this message, the success of the previous day, and then take things forward in the right way. I want to say something here, and I really hope you'll, 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 you'll listen into this. I, I want to tell you something right now that if you will truly grasp, if you will take this in, I believe it will completely transform your prayer life. You interested? Take this in, make it a part of who you are, and it will transform your prayer life. Here, here, here it is. When we pray, I mean really pray. I'm not talking about the rote stuff that we often do before this, that, or the When we really pray, really pray. And I know, maybe some of you haven't done that in a while, and so I want this to be an encouragement to you. When we really pray, the presence of this same Jesus. Are you hearing me? When we pray, the presence of this same Jesus, this same very Jesus is promised by his spirit to guide and encourage us. That presence goes with us in his spirit to guide and encourage us. That should transform your prayer life, knowing that God is for you and God is with you as you lift him up in prayer. I believe that part of this guidance is going to be discernment. Discernment to know when to speak, when to be silent, when, we're, uh, uh, when what we are called to do should be kept secret and when uh, it should be celebrated publicly. You know, sometimes through prayer in certain situations, some Christians are going to know, man, it's better not to attract too much attention to myself in this. That isn't cowardice, it's wisdom. But as, as we talked in our five-minute Friday about the messianic secret and all that goes with that, as in Jesus' case, if the, if the word that you're trying to keep silent leaks out anyway, here's the point. We can remain confident, especially through prayer, that this same Jesus is with us. As we begin to face the cost of being kingdom people, bringing the good news and the power of Jesus, healing love to the world, you can know not only is he guiding you, but he is right there with you. Jesus here in Mark 1 has received his orders from God in prayer and they leave the crowds and they move on to the next town to preach the kingdom of God. And at some point during that preaching tour, a leper comes to him. A skin disease, a death sentence. A man with a leper comes to him during the next fishing trip. Let's take a look, verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. And moved with compassion, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said, See that you, do, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests, and offer for your, your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk. For some things you just can't keep quiet about, is can you? But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. This man is considered ceremonially unclean. He's not allowed in the temple. He's not allowed in the synagogue. He's not allowed in public. But yet he throws away all of that. He throws away all of that and he comes and flings himself at Jesus' feet. You can say that's courage, and it is, but more than that, this is desperation. 
He has heard the rumors of Jesus' power. And so he believes that Jesus can heal. And so he leaves his bed of uncleanness and he comes to Jesus. And Jesus, it says, moved with pity, moved with compassion, does the unthinkable. He reaches out and touches this guy. Aren't you glad that Jesus is willing to touch the untouchable? Now, in most cases, this touch would have made Jesus unclean, right? He would have had to go through some rituals. He would have had to do some things. would have had to spend some time outside of the camp because he touched this man. But in this instance, because Jesus is so different, power flows from Jesus. And rather than becoming clean, he unclean, he brings cleansing to this man. I want you to think about this a minute. Anyone who touched this guy would have had that uncleanness flow to them, but it's not so with Jesus. He wipes the uncleanness out. He sets the captive free. And my point is this, are you in need of cleansing today? Need rescue from whatever it is that's holding you captive? Jesus still moves with compassion and pity and reaches out and touches any who are willing, any who would come to him. But here's the thing, the reign of God This is the point of these miracles that we're reading about. The reign of God that turns everything upside down has come near in the ministry of Jesus. And that same reign is available today. That same power is available to you today. In this account of the healing, I want to just point out a couple things and then we'll wrap this all up. Here's the first thing I want you to notice. The healing of a leper was believed to be something that only God could do. Think about it, right? All the priests could do was certify that a leper had been healed. They couldn't heal, right? But Jesus is so different. And Jesus' ability to heal this leper demonstrates that God is acting through him in an unmistakable way. And they should have recognized that. They should have grabbed hold of that. They should have, they, they should have, they should have really taken that in, but they don't. Because here's the second thing that this story teaches us. This account sets Jesus over against the established religious authorities of his day. We saw it earlier when the demon-possessed man in the synagogue was healed. We see it again here. We said Jesus' authority was different. It was superior to that of the scribes and religious leaders. And here, Jesus tells this man to go show himself to the priests as Moses commanded. But then he says something I think is interesting at the end of verse 44. He says, I want you to go show them as a proof. Now, this proof was uh, important, but, but, but I think it's important in more than one way. This proof was not only proof of the cleansing, which would allow this man back into society, which would allow him back into church, which would allow him in all of those places. And it should have been a clear sign that God was with Jesus But instead, it's going to lead these guys to want to kill him. This proof that Jesus offers or tells him to go offer is not only for the man who's received the healing. It's, I'm proving to you who I am. Priests, religious authorities, leaders. I'm proving to you that I'm from God. And again, it should have caused them to follow. But instead, they reject. They reject Jesus. Now, Jesus, in all that we've looked at so far, is leaving no doubt about his identity. He's leaving no doubt about who he is. 
and it's about to get even more clear. I don't know how long this Galilean ministry tour lasted, but we do know it was a long trip. And as Mark 2 opens, we see that Jesus has finally come home to Capernaum. Let's read one more fishing trip together. And when he returned to Capernaum, chapter 2, verse 1, after some days it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when the crowd, when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting, questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to this paralytic, rise, your, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But so that you may know, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, Pick up your bed and go home. And he arose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we've never seen anything like that. That's a normal occurrence when you've been with Jesus. We've never seen anything like this. I mentioned this earlier. Let me say it again. Uh, this house is most likely Jesus' own house. He may have built it, he may have rented it, but this house is the headquarters for uh, training his guys and for reaching the rest of the world. And this man, this paralyzed man's friend, have brought him to Jesus for healing. But Jesus does a whole lot more than just take care of his physical needs. Jesus uses the occasion of his physical healing to go above and beyond to the greatest need, not only of this man, but to all of us, and that is spiritual cleansing. And I want you to think about something else here. It was after seeing the faith of this guy's friends that Jesus heals this man. Did you catch that? That might be something worth underlining. And I, I want to say something about this. Never, ever, ever underestimate what your faith in Jesus can do for the people around you. Even those closest to you. It was because of their faith that this man gets complete healing, physically and spiritually. And so I guess my question for you this morning is simply this. Are you willing to take drastic measures to get people you know to Jesus? Are you willing to rip some roofs off to get those around you to Jesus? I think it's way past time for us to take the same drastic measures to get the people that we know and we love into Jesus' presence. And I believe this. When Jesus sees your faithfulness, he may just very well bring spiritual cleansing to the heart of those that you want to see in Jesus' presence more than anything else. He's good at that, you know. We said earlier that Jesus showed that he was doing what only God could do and this story, I think, takes that even a step further. Jesus forgives the sins of this man. Now, everyone knew, especially according to verse 7, that, that only God could forgive sins, right? So what's Jesus doing offering forgiveness? Let me try to illustrate this for you. Uh, let, let's imagine that Mitre and Keith are talking, and all of a sudden, Keith just rears back, boom, just hits Trey square in the mouth. Blood starts flowing out. You know, you know I think Keith has a good right hook. I don't know, something like that. And, and when I get up, and I go over to Trey, and I say, hey, Keith, it's good. I forgive you. It's okay. 
I forgive you for punching Trey in the mouth. It's over. (laughs) What's Trey going to say once he's calmed down? Steve, you can't forgive him. Only I can forgive him because I'm the one that got smacked in the mouth. You can't forgive him. He didn't wrong you. He wronged me. Here's the point. You can only forgive sin if it's against you, right? So that's why when Jesus looks at this man and says, your sins are forgiven, he's actually saying, your sins have actually been against me. And the only person in the entire world who could say something like that would be their creator, And Jesus, by forgiving this man, is claiming to be Emmanuel, God in the flesh, God with us, God Almighty. And the religious leaders know it. You see, Jesus is not just claiming to be a miracle worker. He's claiming to be the Lord of the universe, and they are understandably furious about it. And Jesus knows what's happening in their head. And so what comes next is so critical. Let's get this together. Jesus says, all right, what's easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven or to say, get up your mat and walk? And on the first reading, Jesus seems to be saying, listen, anyone can say your sins are forgiven because you're not going to be able to tell if that's true or not. Not everyone can heal. And so to show you that I am a Lord, the Lord, with authority to forgive sins, I say to you, take up your mat and walk. And so the apparent implication is it's a lot harder to heal somebody than to forgive somebody. And Jesus, by healing this man, is, giving, uh, is showing his power over everything. But I think there's even more to it than that. This is such a profound question because it, it has more than just one answer. Jesus is also saying to those that have ears to hear... My friends, it is going to be so much harder to bring about the forgiveness of the sins of mankind than you can imagine. I'm not just a miracle worker, I'm the Savior. Any miracle worker can tell you to take up your mat and walk, but only the Savior of the world can say to a human being, all your sins are forgiven. And so as early as Mark chapter 2, the shadow of the cross falls across Jesus' path. Jesus knows what the religious leaders are thinking. And so he knows that if he begins to let on that he's not just a miracle worker, but the savior of the world, they're eventually going to kill him. And if he not only heals this man, but forgives sins, he is taking a decisive, irreversible step down a path that's leading to death. And by taking this step, he's putting a down payment on our forgiveness. And he was willing to do it. He was willing to do it. For you, for this man, for us, all of us. All right, let's wrap this up. I want to mention three things quickly. First thing I want you to to notice about all that we've looked at this morning is I want you to notice where Jesus does his work. Think about where he's done what he's done. He's done it at church. He's done it at a friend's house. He's done it while he's out and about. And he's done it in his own home. You say, okay, what's the point? Remember, his disciples have just signed on to fish for men. And Jesus is showing them that the work of the Lord is all-encompassing. He's showing them that the work of the Lord doesn't just happen at church. He's telling them the work of the Lord happens literally everywhere. And if we're going to trust and follow Jesus, then we must understand this truth too. It's not just at church. It's everywhere that the work of Jesus Christ must be done. That means at your home. That means at your work, at your school, wherever you might find yourself, that is where the work of God must be done. 
It's not just let's bring everybody to church. No, it's minister where they are. Love them where they are. Draw them closer to the heart of Jesus where they are. And ultimately, we certainly want everyone here to be encouraged and edified and everything else that goes with that. But it's not just a church thing. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Let me just remind you of Revelation 21.8. The cowardly will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so if you're afraid to live for Jesus and minister to people at your school, that's a problem. If you're afraid to minister to Jesus and serve people at your work, that's a problem. If you're afraid to minister to Jesus and serve people at your home, that's a problem. And if you're afraid to minister to Jesus and serve him here at church, that's a problem. Because the work of God has to be done everywhere. Not only that, notice this. Notice who Jesus impacts He impacts a churchgoer. He impacts a woman. He impacts all those who are sick. He impacts the outcast. And so not only does the work of God need to happen everywhere, it must be done for everyone. Right? We show our love for God by loving and serving everyone. Not just those who are easy to serve. Not just those who are easy to love. Everyone. Notice where. Notice who, and here's the last thing. I want you to notice Jesus' power. Notice his power over demons, over sickness, and most importantly, notice his power over sin. Jesus offers forgiveness. And the bottom line is this, his power knows no end. And that forgiveness and that power is available to you. It is available first to forgive you. It's available to cleanse you. It's available to make you right with God again. It's available regardless of what you have done or for how long you've been doing it. His power can give you the strength you need to live out your faith in the front of a watching world. His power can give you the courage to stand up and to speak out for the sake of Jesus. And so if you're feeling a little low on courage today, if you're feeling a little low on strength today come like this man did and fall at the feet of Jesus he will have compassion and he will meet your every need he will meet your every need because that is who he is the savior of the world king of the universe Jesus Christ our Lord and master if you're here today and you need prayer If you're here today and you need to give your life to Christ, I can think of no better time than right now to join Jesus' ministry team and to begin to work and serve because this is what the healed do. We serve other people in the name of Jesus. So how about it? Thanks again for listening. If you are in North Alabama, we would love to have you visit and worship with us. Also, if this lesson blessed you today, don't forget to hit the share button and share this message with someone else. Hope you will join us again next week. As we close, here is our prayer for you. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Have a great week.